and amen. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I hope as we, as the words come up on the screen and, and uh, that you really, I hope you sing. I know some of you maybe not. But I hope that you really just look at those words if you don't sing or even if you sing. I mean, the words to those songs have been so powerful today. I mean, instead of just, you know, vegetating there while you sit in a pew. See, that's, it's a form of worship. Did you know that? The music service is a form of worship. And, and if singing is not your thing, I mean, you can look at those words and, and, and put those words into your heart and think about what those words are saying. Um, it, it would probably do a better job than I will in terms of leading you to worship. So I just encourage you for that. Jim French, open us up, please, sir. Amen. Thank you, Jim. We'll be in Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark 14. If you want to turn there, we'll just have a, uh, uh, hopefully a short message, and then we will observe the, the Lord's Supper. This is a kind of tune-up for that, I guess. But we'll be in Mark 14, and we'll be beginning in uh, verse 10. Uh, it is some events leading up to uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. It is uh, events leading and involved in the Last Supper. So that's why I thought we would look at this today. Hopefully it'll be be quick. Hmm. The Passover, the festival that the Jewish people celebrated. And of course it goes back to the Exodus and the, and the death angel and the blood and and kept uh, the Jewish people safe. It was that time of year again to celebrate the Passover. And Jerusalem was buzzing. I mean, there was excitement in the air. Uh, One historian, Josephine, said, there must have been two to three million people, (laughs) can you imagine, in Jerusalem that have come from all over the world to celebrate Passover. And can you imagine in this town of, of already thousands of people, and yet two to three million folks all over the world have come to celebrate Passover. And you can imagine the issues that that would have caused. I mean, where, where are we going to put everybody? 
The hotels, the condos, the rentals were all full. The restaurants, the eateries, all that kind of stuff, there was no place to get any food. It was an exciting time. People that came together and, and had friendship and fellowship and they were enjoying each other's company, you might say. They hadn't seen each other in a long time and, 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 and it was almost during this time, a, a, it was almost like a carnival, if you would, with the excitement and the people and the fun they were, they were having. But it was a carnival, yes, but in a few hours we find it was going to be a crucifixion. And that's what we want to look at today. The betrayal has already begun in verses 10 and 11. We see and read about the betrayal of Judas. We know Judas Iscariot had gone to some of the chief priests and he had told them, I will betray him to you. I will let you know where he is at. And when I, we have the right time at the opportune time, he says, I will let you know and you can come and get him. And he did all of that for 30 pieces of silver. The betrayal had already begun. We begin to look in verse 12. Jesus knows about the betrayal. And the beautiful thing about that, knowing that Judas was going to do what Judas was going to do, we will find in these verses that Jesus offers Judas two opportunities to repent. He offers Judas one warning that if you don't, here is the consequences of your sin. And we will see in these verses that, that uh, we see God's the mercy of Jesus. We see the grace of Jesus. We see the love of Jesus. We see the patience of Jesus for Judas, for those who reject Jesus, those who betray Jesus, Jesus still gives them, he still gives us an opportunity to repent and accept him as Lord and Savior. There's a great verse in 2 Peter 3.9 that explains all of that. And that verse goes like this. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but, but wishing for none to perish, but all come to repentance. He is slow about his promise. He desires no one to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wanted even Judas, the one that literally was stabbing him in the back, betraying him to come to Jesus. You see, we think and we read this little story, uh, 10 through 21, and, and our mind goes to Judas. But I'm here to tell you this story is not about Judas. This story is about Jesus, the one who loved us enough to go to the cross, to die and to shed his blood and rose again. The one who gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity 
to come and accept Him as Lord and Savior. He's the one that gives us a warning if we don't. This is the consequences of that. He loves us so much that He calls us and He pulls us and He wants us to come to Him. Because He knows the end result is not going to be pretty for an eternity. His desire is for you to repent. As we look at verse 12... We see it's the first day of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed. Yep, that's, and Jesus would be that guy. His disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Where do you want us to go? Knowing that Jerusalem was packed to the gills? Knowing that they would have a hard time finding a place? Having finding the food that they needed? Uh, even questioning Jesus, if you, if you would, about how come you haven't told us where we're going to meet? How come you haven't made arrangements, Jesus? How come you, we, we need to know this stuff. And the, and, and the disciples are worried and they're, and they're anxious about, are we really going to find a place that we can gather to celebrate Passover? Because that's why we're here, to celebrate Passover. And their anxiety and their, and their worry, it just comes through that, that verse. But just like Jesus, he had already made arrangements. He had already done what he needed to do. And I tell you that to tell you this. In your life, you're going to have worries and anxieties. You're going to have things that come into your life and you go, man, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I mean, this is, this is tough. This is a tough time in my life. I got that call or I'm financially struggling or my kids have gone south for the winter. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jesus says, I, I got this. I've already made arrangements for you. You don't have to worry, disciples. You don't have to worry, my children, about what the future holds for you because I'm already in the future. I'm already there. I've already made provision for you. I've already cut a path for you. I'm in front of you, Jesus will say. I'm standing behind you when you're on that road. I'm behind you protecting your backside. Don't have to worry about it. I love the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. <laughs> He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare and not your harm. To give you a future and a hope. That's a great verse. What happens in your life is not designed to hurt you. It's designed for your welfare. It is designed for your good. It's designed to give you a future and a hope out there in the, in, in the future. Jesus knew what needed to be done at the Passover. He'd made arrangements. He's doing the very same thing for your life today. He's got a future and a hope for you. He's got good news coming up for you. And not bad news. Evil news. Hmm. Why would Jesus not tell the disciples where the Passover meal would be? Well, he, he knew Judas was there. He knew Jews, Judas had betrayed him. He already knew, knew that. He knew Jesus, Jesus, Judas had told him that, that uh, he had told the, the priests that 
that I'll have an opportune time for you to come arrest him. The upper room would have been that opportune time. And you see, Jesus doesn't share his plans with folks that are unbelievers that have no business for him. Because you see, an unbeliever has no concept of spiritual things. An unbeliever does not understand the will of God. Jesus eventually will tell the rest of the disciples where he's going to be and serve and celebrate. But he couldn't do it because Judas was in the group with him. That's why Jesus many times speaks in parables where he tells us that the unbelievers don't even understand what this parable is. But Jesus would then explain the parable to his disciples and to his believers. That's the way Jesus is. In verses 13 through 17, we're quickly moving on. Here is the plan. Here is the plan that Jesus said. He says, he picks two guys out of the group, Peter and John. I said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to go to Jerusalem. And when you get there, you are going to see a man carrying a bucket of water. Well, that would have been odd because in Jerusalem at that time, men did not carry buckets of water. That was a woman's job. But Jesus said, there's going to be a man carrying a bucket of water, which almost never happened. And he says, when you see this man carrying this bucket of water, I want you to follow him. And I want you to go where he's at. And when he stops at a building, he said, I want you to go in there with them. And, and, and tell him, the master, the Lord, he says, where is the room for us to celebrate Passover? And Jesus said, he will take you to an upper room where it is furnished and ready to celebrate the Passover. And in verse 17, it says, and the disciples were obedient and did what Jesus asked them to do. Jesus was ahead of them. He'd made plans already for that. Then in verse 17, this is the meat that I want you to get real quickly. It says, when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say that one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. This is Jesus' first attempt to give Judas an opportunity to repent. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows Judas is behind it. And instead of calling him out by name, he just says this, one of you will betray me. Jesus giving him an opportunity. Can you imagine Judas sitting there? He's sitting there and, and uh, thinking, does he really know it's me? I was really quiet. I have not told anybody. Is he just fishing here? Or does he really know that Jesus knows that I'm going to betray him? And Jesus has given him that first opportunity to repent. But Judas, because of his hardened heart, doesn't take the bait, doesn't choose to repent. His heart has been hardened and doesn't want to hear the things that Jesus has to say to him. 
first opportunity. I know you've betrayed me, but you need to repent. And then we look at verse 18. Uh, verse 19. It says, They, the disciples, began to be grieved and said to him one by one, Surely not I. Surely not I. Is it I, they asked him? When Jesus told them that someone was going to betray them, it says they became very grieved. They became very sad. Their heart became very heavy. You, we, we know those times, don't we? And in their minds, they were thinking, who, who could do such a thing? Who would ever want to do such a to betray our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our friend, our buddy? Who would ever? And it made them sad. And the Bible says they begin in 19 to say to him one by one, surely not I. They were stirred to examine themselves. The disciples were, were motivated to think about, could they really do it themselves? You see, they had matured in their faith. And when Jesus said that, they began to wonder, I know how easy it is to fall into sin. I know how easy it is to give in to temptation. I know what it means to walk away. And they understood that in their hearts. And they were afraid for themselves that they would mess up and do what Jesus said somebody was going to do. And they were looking at their hearts and they came to him and said, Lord, surely not me. Is it I? And even Jesus came up to him. We read in Matthew where he says, Rabbi, <laughs> teacher. Surely not I. Surely not I. You see, when they were confronted with this issue about who's going to betray, they looked inward to see if they were, had a weakness or a fault. They didn't point fingers at each other and say, Matthew, Matthew, you're a tax collector. I understand where you've been. I bet it's you. Or Thomas, you're always doubting everything, Thomas. Thomas, I bet you, you have a fault and a weakness. I, I bet you're the one. No, they didn't. They looked within. And I tell you, that's the way we should be as believers. We don't need to see the faults and the weaknesses of everybody else. We need to look within and examine our own hearts. And I'm going to tell you that again as we observe the Lord's Supper. To examine our own heart. You know, the one who should have been convicted, Judas, he wasn't. The one that should have been grieved over what he had done, didn't grieve. The one who should have examined himself, didn't want to. The one that should have been repented, said there was no need. Jesus would give him one more chance, one more opportunity to repent. And that is the next verse. In verse 20, it says this. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. Judas now understands that Jesus knows. Judas knows that Jesus 
knows he's the one. And, and, and just look at this for a minute. Judas was with the twelve. He was partaking of the fun and the fellowship. He was partaking of the celebration of the Passover. He was sitting there knowing that he was guilty. He was sitting there knowing that he had unconfessed sin. He was sitting there knowing that, that this man who he sat by was supposed to be the Lord and Savior of this world. And yet, all he could think of about as him being a good teacher, a rabbi. And there he sat amongst the disciples, amongst Jesus, rubbing shoulders with Jesus, knowing he was deceiving others, knowing he was guilty, knowing that he could not say anything because of what somebody might say. And there he sat, thinking that all was good. I suggest to you today that maybe in this church, but churches all over this world, there are people sitting in the pews today that would be just like Judas. Not that you're betraying Jesus, but you're sitting there and knowing in your heart of hearts that you're guilty. Knowing that you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Knowing that you've never repented of your sins. And you sit in that pew not wanting anybody to know. Not wanting anybody. I, I, what would they say if I if I'd stepped out of the pew and came to the aisle and got Christ in my life? What would they say? What would people think? They would be happy for you, I can promise you. And yet we sit there. And we see in that verse that was, that was Jesus' second attempt, second opportunity to get Judas to repent. Here's another one, Judas. All you have to do is repent. I love you so much. But he couldn't do it, could he? He couldn't do it. Judas is now out of opportunities. That's the way God operates. He, he goes so far, gives us so many opportunities. Every time you come to this church room, you have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Judas thought, I'll do it later. It's okay. We'll, we'll pass it down or I'll kick the can down the road, if you would. What Judas didn't understand, that was his last opportunity to repent. And in that next verse, Jesus warns him of his destiny. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. This is God's plan. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Jesus knew the eternal destiny of Judas and other unbelievers. He knew that. He warned Jew, Judas of the terrible judgment that faced him. The terrible eternal judgment. Because Judas, not because he betrayed him, because he rejected Jesus. 
and even as we speak because his rejection of Jesus, even as he, as he speaks, we speak today. Judas is in Hades right now, waiting his eternal judgment because he did not act upon the opportunities that Jesus had given to him. What amazing grace Jesus bestows upon us, does he not? He gives us opportunity after opportunity. He tells us of what our reward will be, consequences or not. He wants us to understand he's slow. He is patient because he wants none of us to perish, but all to repent. But you see, Jesus is a gentleman, and God is a gentleman. And if you choose in your life to reject Jesus, I want nothing to do with him here on this earth. Jesus, being the gentleman that he is, will not compel you, didn't force Judas to submit, and he won't do that to you. If you want to live this life in rejection of him, Jesus said, that's, that's your choice. I will allow you to be separated, reject him for an eternity. That's how much Jesus loves us. In conclusion, I've got to move. Jesus said, here's some opportunities. And I am saying today, here's your opportunity if you've never been born again, if you've never accepted Christ, here's your opportunity to do that before we take of the Lord's offering. There's a warning. You know the warning. I urge you to accept it. Better that you've never been born, he says, than to reject Christ. He is patient. He is loving. He is forgiving. He wants none of you to perish but all come to repentance. What love. And he showed us that love, did he not? When he went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died, rose again, so that you and I could accept him and not reject him for an eternity. Rhonda? I want to have a, just a quick invitation. I don't know how God has spoken to you but before we take this Lord's Supper, if you've never been born again, I urge you to do that. I urge you to accept Jesus, Lord and Savior, today. And then you can celebrate with us the Lord's Supper. As you bow your heads and close your eyes. I ask you to do business with our Lord. Here is your opportunity.